Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and enliven the words that I'm about to say, that it would be your word to your people. We ask that you'd open up our hearts and our ears to understand what it is you'd have to say to us this morning. Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Well, good morning to you again. I, I have to tell you that I have been agonizing over the sermon topic all week. All week. I couldn't even begin writing until Thursday night because I've been, I've been praying about this. I've been thinking about this. I've been reading. I've been talking to people. I asked our Wednesday night prayer group to, be pray, to pray for me when I was there. Uh, this, this is an extremely difficult question. You know, we're, we're in this uh, series called Explore God, and we're tackling some of the hardest questions people ask. And I think uh, me and the 800 other pastors who agreed to do this are beginning to regret uh, signing up. Uh, this is a really difficult question. Why, why does God allow pain and suffering? Uh, if, God, if God is so good, if God is all-powerful, how is there so much evil and suffering and pain in our world? And uh, it's, it's incredibly difficult to answer. Uh, you know, we all, we all experience pain and suffering at some point in our lives. It's, we, none of us escape it. And uh, it's, it's, it's something that we all have to deal with. So how do, so how do we deal with it? Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little nervous about this because, you know, many of you, you're, you're going through suffering right now. <laughs> you're going through grief right now. And kind of the last thing you need to do when, when you're in grief is someone to come up to you and give you an explanation. <laughs> you just need someone to just kind of show up and hush up, right? You just need to just be present. Just don't give me an explanation. Just be there. Be love. Be present to me. So uh, I ask for your grace as I try to answer this question this morning. I'm approaching it with some trepidation. You know, there's a, Bible, a book in the Bible called the book of Job, and it's all about suffering. And Job gets to the end, and he, and he says this. He says, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And I think I'm probably going to say the same thing by the end of the sermon. Uh, this topic is so wonderfully and crazily complex. And no matter what I say today, there will always be an element of mystery. I can't explain it all away. And there is nothing I can say that will take away the pain that we've experienced. There's nothing I can say that will revert, reverse what happened or suddenly make it all better. But after we go through grief and we're, we're working through that process and kind of the dust begins to settle, the questions and doubts still persist, don't they? They still persist. And the question comes up, well, why? And we're going to address that question today. And, and let me give you some caveats. Here's what I will not do. I am not going to solve or resolve the issue of pain and suffering. I don't think I could ever do that. I couldn't do that with a whole sermon series, let alone one sermon. It's going to be impossible. And uh, you will likely have more questions today than you have answers. You'll, you'll probably leave with more questions than you had than you started with. And I think that's a good thing. This, this topic should spark more discussion and thought and prayer in your life. I am not going to minimize pain and suffering, and I'm not going to offer any easy or cliche Christian answers. That's what I will not do. Here's what I will do. I will provide some reasons why pain and suffering exist in our world. And I will challenge some of the standard and cliche answers that you often hear in Christian circles. And I'm going to provide you with what I think are more biblical and more helpful answers. Okay? Because when you go through intense suffering, what you believe can really be challenged. We were really challenged when we lost our daughter, Jessie Grace, when Laura was 27 weeks pregnant. That was really challenging. You know, things that you believe, things that you think about God, you begin to wonder, how does that fit into my conception of God and life and how all of this works? It begins to challenge you. And you can begin to be, feel like you're grasping for just something to hold on to. 
What do I really believe? What is the truth of this universe? And so we have to start, if we're going to navigate this issue, we have to start at some of the foundational truths that we just, we know is true. We have to start with what we know so that we can navigate this. And so that's why we need the first point I'm going to give you this morning. This is the foundation. God is love and made the world for love. God is love and made the world for love. Here's, here's a few verses about this. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. So the Bible teaches he is love. That is his essence. He can't help but be anything but love. That's who he is. That is the essence of his being. Everything God does is loving. And then 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So God's love is not a self-serving love. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that would go all the way to the cross to save you and redeem you. That is the kind of love he has. We look at the cross, that's how we know. And then 1 John 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means God's love for us is not dependent on anything in your own self. It's not dependent on how good you are. It's not dependent on how much you go to church. It's not dependent on how, how you know, well you behave. It says, no, while we were still sinners, while we least deserved it, in our worst moments, Christ died for us, died for you. Jesus loves us. He loves you. This we know. We know it. The Bible tells us so. That's our basis. That's where we have to start. So we have to have that as the foundation before we can navigate anything else. So that's my, that's my first thing. The second thing you have to understand is that God gave free will to make love possible. God gave free will to make love possible. Because God is loving and wants to be loved in return, he gives us free will. Because for love to be true, it's got, it's got to be freely chosen. And we, we all know this intuitively. Uh, if somehow I had forced Laura to accept my proposal of marriage, that, that would not be love. If somehow I was forcing her right now to stay married to me, that would not be love. That would be a hostage situation. <laughs> that would not be love if it was forced. We all know this. Love does not force or coerce another person, but it invites, it woos, and it pursues. And this is the kind of love God has for us and the kind of love he wants back from us. And so to create a universe where love is possible, God makes us in his image and gives us free will. Look what he, how this is described in Genesis 1. It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and look at this, and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So God is saying, he's giving the charge, he's giving the decree that humanity has authority in the world. To rule on God's behalf, he's saying, rule like I would if I were you. Subdue the earth, rule over it. He's giving them authority, he's giving them will, he's giving them free will. And he has decreed that this is the kind of universe he wants. God is giving humans free reign to rule the world on his behalf. And this is a really big risk. Because once God says, go rule, he can't immediately override that decree if we decide to go do something he doesn't like. He's saying, go rule, and he's, not gonna, and he's not going to step in. Because free will means that I can choose to go as much toward the good and to God and to holiness and righteousness as I want. And the, I can also go the other way, the total opposite way to evil, to sin, to destruction. Free will necessitates that we have, we have choices. We have the choice to go towards God or away from God. 
And if you take away this option down here, then your only option is to go here, and that's no longer, that's no longer free will. And that's no longer love. That's being a robot. I mean, how many people would like to be in love with their phone? I mean, some of you are already, so I mean, that's not really a big jump. But I mean, you know, if you're talking to Siri, well, I love, I love you, Siri, I love you back. I mean, that, that would be preposterous if, it, if we were programmed to do only what God wanted us to do. No, so he gives us free will to make love possible. And if this is the case, that we can choose to go with, what God, with God's ways and we can choose to go away from God, then that means that, that not everything that goes on in our world is God's will, right? Now, it's his universe, it's his will to set up the universe this way, but it's not his will when we choose to go against his ways. Now, if you've been in church for a while, it might sound funny to your ears to hear that not everything that happens in the world is the will of God. But I believe the Bible teaches this very consistently and plainly. Let me give you a couple of examples. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, sanctified, that means holy. Do all people avoid sexual immorality? <laughs> Do all Christians avoid sexual immorality? No way, Jose! Right? That doesn't happen. So no, God's will is resisted. It is thwarted. People are not doing God's will. I mean, this is what Jesus Christ himself taught us to pray, is it not? He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Finish it for me. So if we're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that means his will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. Things are not the way God wants them to be in the world. They are not the way that he has designed them to be. And so human beings choose to go against God's will all the time. And a lot of the suffering, a lot of the evil that we see in the world, that we see in the news, that we've read in history books, they're caused by humans who choose to go against God's will to sin. I mean, people's lives have been ruined by lies, by gossip, by drunk drivers, by abusers, by adultery, by stealing, by violence, by war by being cheated on, by rage, by bitterness, by lust, by all kinds of evil. And I believe people can be confidently told it was not God's will for your life for that to happen. The people who did that to you were going against the will of God. It was not your fault. It was not God's fault. It was that person's sin and their evil that did that to you. God did not want that. That was not his will. It can be overwhelming how far people choose to go away from God. But this was the risk that God was willing to take to make love possible. Because when you open yourself to loving somebody, you open yourself up to rejection. You know, every time we choose to love, we choose to enter into a relationship, uh, a marriage, we, bringing children into the world, we, we open ourselves up to the risk that our love might be rejected. And God was rejected when he gave us the possibility to freely love him back. He could have made robots. He could have made puppets. He decided to make human beings instead. And we did not do so well, did we, with the will that he gave us. And this is the point number three that you have to understand. Humans and angels rebelled against God, and now the world is at war. Humans and angels rebelled against God, and now the world is at war. So we all, we all know this, the whole Romans road, Romans 3.23. All have sinned. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has gone astray. With the free will God gave us, we sin and we choose to do evil. We just talked about that. A lot of the evil in the world is caused by human sin. But we'll never be able to understand this issue 
until you understand that this world is in a state of war against God. In a state of war against God. You know, Genesis 3 talks about the fall of humankind, and Jean mentioned it in her children's sermon. We think about Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve disobeying God. But we often leave out that there was someone else there. There was an intruder. There was a, what's described as a serpent, which we understand to be a symbolic image of Satan, the, the enemy of God, who deceived Adam and Eve. Now, there, the Bible does not tell us a lot about where Satan comes from, but the Bible and tradition seem to say that, that Satan was an angel created by God who, with his own army of angels, rebelled against God, and they were cast out of heaven, they were, and they were cast to earth, and now they are wreaking havoc and destruction in the world. Now, our Western version of Christianity doesn't like to talk about this so much. You know, people around the globe, are, are, are per- Christians around the globe are perfectly fine with the spiritual realm. But us in the West, we have trouble with this because I think we're a little embarrassed by it. Because I think we think of uh, caricatures, right? We think of the little red devils running around, and that, that just seems kind of silly to us uh, to think about that. Uh, but believing in the supernatural realm actually, I think, really helps us understand the kind of world that we're living in. You know, all of you believe in uh, invisible forces that affect your life. You know, I, I, you guys know I love to play basketball. Now, when I go up to try to dunk, there is a mysterious invisible force <laughs> that does not allow me to jump very high. All right? I, I am somehow pulled back to the ground. It's called gravity, right? There's all kinds of invisible forces. You know, radio waves, electric, electric waves, magnetic fields, all kinds of stuff that we say, you know what, that makes sense of the kind of world I'm experiencing. And the Bible describes other invisible forces, not detected by science, but when we look at the world and we see there is so much evil, there is so much destruction, there is so much war, there are so many horrible things, maybe it makes sense that it's not just humans rebelling against God. Maybe there are other forces influencing what is happening. That's what the Bible describes, that Satan is the enemy of God, and he has his forces, and they are rebelling against God's, God's ways. Paul calls Satan the god of this age. Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. And this is what he says Satan is doing. This is what Satan is doing in the world, in his kingdom. John 10.10, 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What is Satan doing in the world? He's stealing what God doesn't want him to steal. He's killing and he's destroying. He's destroying the world. He's wreaking havoc and destruction. All kinds of things that are horrible, suffering and sickness and evil and all kinds of things are because of the influence of the spiritual realm. And so when we ask the question, why does God allow pain and suffering? We often forget that there's other, other things in the world going on besides just God and us. We imagine God being the only one with agency but there are other forces at work in our world wreaking destruction. I think we often, we often assume that, well, you know, God must have caused this accident or this sickness or, or this abuse for our good. But we have to ask ourselves when we look at the Gospels, when we look at Jesus, who is the image of God, the full image and representation of God, what was he doing? He saw all kinds of evil, suffering and sickness and pain. And he didn't say, oh, God calls this, so you just have, God caused all this, so you just have to deal with it. Almost all, almost all the time, he said, no, actually, Satan is behind this. And I'm going to drive it out, I'm going to heal, and I'm going to revolt against what he is doing. I have tied up the strong man, and I am bringing my kingdom. See, Jesus, he goes to battle against evil and starts to bring healing in his kingdom wherever he goes. And so Jesus... He is warring against all the evil in the world. And when he invites us to be his followers, 
He actually invites every one of you to revolt against the suffering and the evil and the pain that you see in the world. He invites you to join him in his kingdom, to bring love, comfort, and healing in all the places we see the aftermath of war. But then the question still comes, well, if, if God is for us, if he is fighting against the evil in our lives, you know, we, we still ask, well, why did this happen to me? Why did I experience this? Why, why did I get this sickness? Why did I have to suffer through this? Why did I get into an accident? And the truth of the matter is, we don't know. We don't know. We do not know. We can talk about why evil happens, why suffering happens in general, but we usually don't know why any specific event happens. We don't know why. Every event is an extremely complex set of factors. Uh, and the most I can say right now and get the sermon done <laughs> is to say this. The world is at war. The world is at war. Awful things happen. It is broken. There is sin. There is evil. There are invisible forces. There are, there are all kinds of things happening. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's the enemy of God. Sometimes it's humans using their free will against us. Sometimes it's the complexity of creation that we live in. You know, gravity, it saves us most days, but if you fall, it could really hurt you really badly. You know, and we know somehow God is involved in all this as well. And so we do not have the infinite knowledge to know how all of these factors are working at one time to come together in one event. This, the truth is, we just don't know. We are finite human beings and we don't know. But here's what we do know. When suffering does happen, we can assume that God wants to bring hope, God wants to bring healing, and God wants to bring comfort. And we can join with Jesus to revolt against the suffering in this world and bring light to all the dark places in our lives. But even so, we can give thanks to God because our hope is not in just this world alone. We need hope beyond all the pain we experience. That's why we need, we need number four, is that God will one day bring justice, healing, and he will end all suffering. You see... If this problem of pain and suffering really bothers you and really trouble, trouble, troubles you, it's a sign that you were made for another world. You know, pain is a sign that's, that tells us that something is wrong. When you put your hand on, the, on a stove, your body is telling you something is wrong. Do something about it. And when we experience suffering, it's like our souls are telling us this isn't right. This, how, this isn't how it was supposed to be. This isn't how our world is, is supposed to be. And if, and if there is no life after death, what a sad fate that would be. All of the pain we've experienced, all the injustices that, that have been done that we see in our world, all the loss that we have felt, there would be no resolve. There would be no healing and there would be no justice. Evil would win. But thankfully, God through Jesus Christ, he has given us the hope of eternal life with him. This world is not the last word. One day, God will set everything right. People will be held accountable for the injustices they have done. Satan will finally be defeated. And God will win in the end. Amen? We will be healed of our pain. God describes what the world will one day look like. I love this passage. And you might have heard this before, but you just, you just need to think about this again because this is where it's going. Revelation 21 says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying 
or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. The old is gone. The new is coming. Friends, finally, one day we will be with God fully, face to face in his presence. And he's going to wipe every, every tear. He's going to comfort every sorrow. He is going to heal every hurt. He is going to heal every wound. Bodies are going to be restored. Diseases, disabilities, and cancer, and depression, and mental illness will be no more. Amen? They will all be healed and restored in Jesus Christ. There'll be no more pain or suffering, no more evil, no more death, no more loss. Everything will be made new. The war will be over. And Jesus will win. Love will reign. What a promise we have in God. What a promise we have in Jesus Christ. And the question is, well, what do we do in the meantime? Can't wait. That's going to be a wonderful promise, but what do we do? And this is the hope that we have in the meantime, is this, that that God works to bring good from evil. He works to bring good from evil. Now, I want to give you a passage of Scripture that has often been misinterpreted in the church, but I want to give it to you because there's a lot of truth here too. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And also, I want to give you a footnote. If you're, if you're using the Pew Bibles or you got the NIV, or maybe other translations have this as well, there's, there's often different ways of, of translating certain phrases. Here's another way to look at this. It says, Or that all things work together for, for good to those who love God, who have been called according to His purpose. Or that in all things God works together with those who love Him to bring about what is good. For those who have been called according to his purpose. See, I, and I kind of like that one a little better. God, God works to bring it out. I think that helps us understand what's going on here. Because no, none of these readings is suggesting that God is causing suffering for your good. No, it, it's, it's not. It's, you know, people like to say, well, well everything happens for a reason. Everything, happened for, everything happens for a reason. The, the abuse that you suffered, it, ha- it happened for a reason. Uh, you know, you, you were raped or, or murdered, that happened for a reason. But it's not, that's not what this is saying. It doesn't happen for a reason. God didn't want that. That's people revolting against God's will. No, it says, in all things, God works for the good. So when we experience the evil, when we experience the suffering, when we experience the pain, God can somehow take that and bring good out of it. That's what it's saying. And there can be a reason for it, but it doesn't mean there is a reason that caused it. And I think that's why it gets people so confused. You know, there's a form of martial arts. Uh, it's called Aikido. Maybe a few of you have heard of it. Heard of it. It's, it's, more of a, it's more of a defensive martial arts. And the idea is that when your opponent comes at you, you use the force of your opponent to render, to render them defeated. You know, they come at you and then you take that force and you can throw them over your shoulder and defeat them. And this is what God does against evil. When, when the forces of darkness and the, and the leaders in Jesus' day, they wanted to kill him and destroy the Son of God. And you know, what, you know what God did? He pulled the Aikido move. And he accomplished the salvation of the world through someone else's sinful and destructive choices. That's bringing good out of evil. Now, if the martial art uh, illustration doesn't work for you, um, I have another one. Uh, fertilizer. Fertilizer. Now, excuse my language, forgive me in advance. There's a lot of crap that happens in our world, all right? Because I, 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 some, of it, some of it is so bad, I probably should use a stronger word. But we're in church, we're in worship, and I'm not going to use the stronger word. But we can't minimize how bad it is. 
There's a lot of crap. There's a lot of junk. There's a lot of horrible things that happen in our world. And we can't minimize it. We can't tell people, well, God has a purpose for it. and It's not that bad. No, it's crap. It's horrible. It's evil. It's painful. But you know what farmers can do with manure? They can take all the dung and the manure and they can, and they can fertilize their crop. And that will grow plants. And, that, and those plants can be used to feed other animals. And actually life can come out of the dung. And God can take all the junk, all the crap, all the, you know, I, I can't, there's no good word for it. He can take all that stuff and he can use it in your life to grow life and to give purpose to your pain. Doesn't mean that he was behind it, doesn't mean he caused it, but he can use it if you allow him. If you allow God to take your pain, he can grow you, he can, he can uh, add to your character, he can grow perseverance, he can grow hope, he can grow a lot of things in our lives with pain. But we just have to give it to him. We have to give it to him. So focused on the fertilizer, I can't remember where I was. <laughs> you know, I think I'm missing a page in my notes, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, all of this to say, <laughs> to, if, I could just, if I could just sum it up, we have to remember, no matter what we experience, God loves us, he loves us, he can bring purpose to our pain, and if, if we allow him to work in our lives. But uh, before you can even hear the answer, uh, and, you know, maybe this is bad in the way I've, I've done this, but you have to be able to lament, too. you got to be able to be honest. You know, you can't just look at all these ans- answers and just say, okay, well, now I'm better. Now I feel better. No, you've you got, you got to be honest. And I think God really wants our honesty. Um, and I really want to give you a chance to be honest this morning. Um, I'm going to invite John and uh, Jana up, and they're going to play a little, a little bit of music. And uh, the, the psalm that we... Uh, had the scripture reading this, this morning. You know, it's, it's this beautiful representation of how we can be honest with God. How long, God, am I going to have to suffer? How long am I going to have all these thoughts day and night and sorrow in my heart? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? See, you have to be able to take all your pain and give it to God and be honest with him about it because he, he loves us. He wants to be in a relationship with us and he weeps over our suffering. He weeps with us over the pain and evil in our lives. And so as this music, there's no, there's no words are going to be, uh, be sung. I just want you just to take this time and just be honest with God. Just go to him with your suffering. Hand him all the stuff that's going on and say, God, would you just do something with this? Would you bring some life out of this? Would you bring some healing to my hurt? Would you bring some comfort to my pain? And I'll give you a few minutes to do that this morning.